It's on. There we go. A little bit of a miscue. I missed the tab. I missed the tab with my with my finger. I tried to flick it back up and it didn't work. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, it is on. Sorry for your girlfriend. Okay. Well, that yo, as you can hear. What's going on, everybody? Back on another episode of The Covert Show, and we got good old Kenny Wexler back in, a.k.a. Dr. Jack, a.k.a. my best friend. We have him back on the pod once again. Kenny, how is Las Vegas? Oh, you know, we've had some great weather lately. Um, uh, not, not too shabby, going pretty well. Uh, working. Working. It's just, cold. It's cold. How it's how cold, cold is it there? It's hot there. <laughs> uh, so cold would mean probably about sixty degrees. Oh my lord, that's still plenty nice for us here in the good old Midwest. So yeah, sixty degrees. We dropped about fifty <clears throat> degrees in like a month. That see, and that that's the one thing that I I always love about because when you first came to the Midwest back in. 2017, because that was when we moved in for college. I remember having you see snow for the first time, and you were practically, you were out in shorts and a short sleeve shirt, and you were acting like a kid on freaking Christmas. <laughs> your first snow Accurate. was, your first snow was like a kid getting a first, like getting a puppy. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's how insane it was at that day. It's pretty accurate, yeah. It was. But... So, but 60 degrees is cold in Vegas. It's still about 70 here. We're dealing with another, like, two or three days of it. It's, like, 30-mile-an-hour winds today here in Iowa. Sorry for your freaking weather report. But we're hopping in on that because I didn't go hunting today because it was too windy. But we are here, and we're talking about probably one of our favorite subjects to talk about as former ball players, but also just as sports fans. It is the MLB postseason, and it is here, and oh my goodness, have there just been a lot of games to go through. So first of all, we'll break it down this way. We'll go to the wild card, which happened prior. It was the Guardians and the Rays, the Mariners and the Blue Jays, the Mets and the Padres, and the Phillies and the Cardinals. So basically, the first day of, or the first couple of games the Guardians ended up taking the series against the Rays two to nothing good hitting great pitching the Rays just couldn't really get much of an offense going and the Guardians pitching staff looks like they could be one of the just most notable dark horses within this in this postseason and Kluber did not have a good second day ended up taking the L for the Rays and ending the season in both I should say both games of that were one run games the Guardians ended up winning the second game one to nothing. And then you flip it back over to the Mariners series. And boy, howdy, was that just an absolute cluster. And JC, when he hears this, he I I would love, love to have him on the show for this just because he is a Blue Jays fan. And I, I feel really bad. But here's how the, the final game of this went down. The Mariners ended up sweeping the Jays two to nothing in Toronto. And game two. The Blue Jays led the entire way. They had eight runs, and they were up eight to nothing. The Mariners ended up getting one in the fifth, four in the sixth. The, the Blue Jays came back and got one more in the seventh, made it nine, or gave them nine. And then finally, the Mariners had a big fourth run eighth, 
and then a one-run ninth on a double down the line in right field to give them a 10-9 to victory and to push them back into the, N- or the ALDS. Now, if you're a Blue Jays fan, that hurts. If you're a Mariners fan, you have now had a team that's relevant and made it past the, the wild card and back into the DS for the first time since, I believe, early 2000. If you're a Mets fan, your season also ended on a tragic note. You ended up dropping four to the Braves, which pushed you out of contention for the NL East. And then you ended up losing to the Padres, seven to th- or beat the Padres 7-3 to three to force a pivotal game three, ended up losing that. And then if you were a Cardinals fan as well, you were sorry to see Yadier Molina, Wainwright, and Pujols all go home in two games in St. Louis, as a matter of fact. Which, as a, as a baseball fan, that just sucks. And, I mean, I'm sure, Kenny, you can attest to this, but how how have some of the baseball players on our side of the generation, before we get into the divisional rounds, how have some of these baseball players on our generation kind of either made it to some sort of the same level as it was when our parents were growing up? When you had, you know, like Mark McGuire, you had Piazza, you had both junior and senior for the Griffies, you had Dante Bichette, you had all those guys do we have some of those same caliber of just absolute dogs, or is it more of just kind of a skill base now instead of it just being straight ballers? Oh, no, we definitely got our uh, our dogs, and I think every era does, right? I mean, when you look at it, you named all the ones from, like, our parent era. If you go back to the grandparent era, I'm sure they had guys who, like, that was their all-stars. It's just the game changes, right? Mm-hmm. When you look at it in total, like right right now, when you look back at uh, like the Ken Griffey days, right? Let's talk about that. When you talk about that and like striking out was like minimal. You don't strike out. Yeah. Now fast forward to today, where striking out's okay as long as you hit forty home runs. That that is you can have forty strikeouts and forty home runs. That evens out perfectly. But back then, if you had forty strikeouts, you didn't fucking play. Yeah. That, that is an interesting point because I did see <clears throat> a stat last week about Tony Gwynn had, I, I forget what it was, but he, he only struck out like a handful of times in a single season, let alone in his entire he career. Had, I know exactly what that. He had 100, I believe it's 167, because Aaron Judge struck out 167 times this year and had 62 home runs. Yeah. And I believe it was, he struck out 167 times in the 90s. Yeah, that's that was the stat that I saw. I mean, th- think about that for a second. Like you just said, striking out is is a much bigger picture now. And granted, you can throw it back to Nolan Ryan, who was the king of strikeouts, who it seemed, and Randy Johnson also had a huge amount of strikeout numbers as a pitcher. Roger Clements did as well. But I mean, if you take a look at those guys, they were throwing heat. And it mostly was guys weren't seeing the, the kind of off-speed or the kind of movement that we see now in our day and age. You were getting guys that were throwing straight 100 miles an hour, or in Randy Johnson's case, I will say this, he was the one of the biggest outliers in this, where a ball would literally move from a three-quarter slot from a left-handed side all the way down to your back foot like it just was butter. Like you could just cut a hot knife through it. And now you're seeing guys that are throwing 102-mile-an-hour sinkers that move from the middle of the zone down to the bottom of your foot. So I think the velocity had a major factor on guys weren't hitting as well, or guys were still hitting really, really good back in like the, the 80s and the 90s and even the early 2000s. But I think now you see a lot more strikeouts strictly based on the fact that you have 
so much more movement and honestly I would argue a little bit more control now. I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong if the control aspect is not there, but you take a look at so I'm I'm looking right now at the stats as well. Jacob DeGrom in the first game or in the second game of the Mets Padres series, he ended up um getting the win here. And if I can if my computer wants to actually I don't know where the hell my mouse just went. There we go. Okay. So Jacob DeGrom ended up going six innings pitched. He had eight runs, but he had or he had two earned runs, but he had eight K's on the day. I mean, DeGrom has been known as a guy who just has lights out stuff and throws hard. And if you play him in the show, if you played him in either it was 2021 or 2022, everybody used DeGrom at the beginning because he was just a cheat code, pitching-wise. And then this year it was Randy Johnson in 2022. And video game side, I think it's freaking hilarious that you can take a guy like Jacob DeGrom who still throws 100 control, and then you get a guy like Jordan Hicks who somewhat has a minimal idea of where the ball is going because he just throws hard and all of his stuff just moves so freaking much. Like, it, it's insane. Because, I mean, like you said, Aaron Judge had 160 strikeouts this year but 60 bombs. Joey Gallo had less hits in his entire season on the Yankees roster than Aaron Judge did home runs. I think it was like, I think it was Gallo had 50-something hits and Aaron Judge had 62 bombs on the year. And this was arguably Aaron Judge's biggest year when it came to just stat-wise on batting average as well. Because, I mean, Aaron Judge still had a very, very good batting average this year. So. He was, he did he did cool stuff this year. Yeah, he did, he did stuff that has not been heard of for a while. And I think that's, that's also a big thing, too, is you take a look at the game of baseball. Some of those records are set in stone. Like, Ricky Henderson's base-stealing record is set in stone completely. If you get a guy that steals as many bases as Ricky Henderson in a, life, in, a, in a lifetime career, then by God, I don't know what record is unattainable in baseball. Because, I mean, in the NFL, there's been quarterbacks have broken records left and right. Tom Brady broke Peyton Manning's record right after Peyton Manning broke the record. Um, multiple records. I mean... um. It, it, it's just a testament to show how hard the game of baseball is because it finally took somebody this long to break the home run record for the American League and to finally put it up there and tie Roger Maris and then take it take over Babe Ruth as well. And you get guys like uh, Nolan Ryan, whose strikeout record, I don't know how long that's going to stand. But I think it's going to stand for a hot minute just because you you don't see one consistent guy getting as many strikeouts in a game or as many strikeouts in a single season, let alone his perfect game rec- or his no-hit record, that, I think, will stand. Seven, seven no-hitters, I mean, that's that's a tough number to even come close to, to sniffing. Because what, Roy Halladay threw, I, and I think it was Halladay, he threw, what, two no-hitters in the same season? Wasn't it him? I honestly have no idea. Wow, we're we're both stumped on this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna Google that at, at a quick moment here, but um, wait. Yeah. I just, so I pulled up Aaron Judge's stats, and it's kind of funny that we talk about like Tony Quinn had 160 something strikeouts in the 90s. Yeah. Um, career stats for Aaron Judge has 908 strikeouts. Man, he looks like me. And that is over a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven-year career. 
That's over seven years. He struck out nine hundred and eight times. How many times has Tony Gwynn struck out in his career? That's Tony Gwynn. And also, Roy Halladay only threw a no hitter in the in the postseason, I believe. I thought he threw two in the same season. Now I could, I was definitely wrong. For Tony Gwynn, are you ready for this? Yeah, career, career. This is from 1982 to 2001. Career. 434 strikeouts. And how long was his career? 1982 to 2001. Good Lord. That is 9,288 at bat. 434 strikeouts. Does it give a career batting average for Tony Gwynn right there? Because, I mean, if you're not striking out, you're you're either hitting balls and getting on base or you're you're just hitting outs and people are making great plays. I think Tony Gwynn's batting average is like three-some batting. 338. Oh, well, there you have it. I mean, it just just completely seeing the fact of you have this many at bats, over nine hundred at bats, and only how how many strikeouts did you say? Four hundred. Or sorry, nine thousand. And you had four hundred strikeouts. And Aaron Judge, within his career so far, as short as it has been, even though it's been decently long for the last few years, he has nine hundred. Aaron already. Judge in three years has struck out more than Tony Gwynn did in his career. That's insane. That's tough. So that's what that's what we talk about when we say the game is changing, right? Mm-hmm. Granted, we're we're comparing Tony Gwynn, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, to Aaron Judge, who arguably is going to make the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, strictly mostly because he just broke the home run record. And guy's a good ball player, adding average two eighty four, but like he's a good ball player. He's going to make the Hall of Fame. We all know it. Um, he's a liked guy. And that's mostly kind of what we see here, right? When we look at the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Like, back in the day, like, yeah, you can all look at those and go, yeah, those were great ball players. Nowadays, I feel like we look at them like, yeah, they're some of them good ball players, some of them great ball players. All of them well-known and liked. I, I would agree on that. Have you noticed that? When was the last time you saw, like, a guy who were like, everyone fucking hates that guy, but he's in the Hall of Fame because he's a great ball player? I mean, to be honest, that that actually is a fair point. I mean, it's I I think there's a there's a lot more guys on this roster of MLB players that are our time that you can definitely say they will make the Hall of Fame. But I agree, they may not be as liked. But at the same well, time, mean, like you think of pitchers back in the day, right? Yes, Pedro Martinez, like one of the last pitchers to do it, would throw. At your head, if you dug into the box, yeah, right, would literally throw at your head, no mercy. And of course, he'll deny it ten days out of ten. But ball slipped; he never did it. But I mean, think about that. Like that was a guy who, like, that was his mound. You think he was liked by hitters? No, hell no. Randy Johnson wasn't either, and that was a fact. Of Randy Johnson, really didn't know what the ball was going. He had a bird, for God's sake. I. I 
that's just crazy for me to think about. And then now you look at today where like pitchers sit there. Pitchers got dirty stuff today. Oh yeah. But like no one imagine how much dirtier stuff could be. Like all these guys who got a hundred and five mile an hour fastball. If you could throw inside. Mm-hmm. Just throw inside. I'm not saying throw it to one's head. I'm not saying throw it to the head. I'm not saying throw it to knees. I'm saying throw inside, knock somebody down. Yeah. And then come back on a backdoor slider. <clears throat> yeah, it's that would be deadly. And I think, I think the one because thing. Keep going. Sorry, you're making people uncomfortable. Agreed. That was the goal. The goal is to make someone uncomfortable in the box. The goal is not to sit there and go, like, uh, what was it, Urias for the Dodgers last night. Did a great job pitching. Dirty stuff. Mm-hmm. Big old wicked curveball, change-up fastball. Wicked stuff. But consistently, he threw strikes. Yeah. Consistently. As a hitter, right? I was a hitter. I've always been a hitter. I hit fastball. Going in, to that box, I would have sat dead red. Agreed. Why? Because I know somewhere in there he's going to throw me a fast one. He's going to throw a first strike. I can't miss it. And I think that's also the biggest thing, too, is I think now I think the the art of pitching has, like I said, became a little bit more lost. But also the the competitiveness of being able to, like you said, throw at somebody's head or not not really throw at somebody's head, but throw inside to be able to bury that. It's like, I think with the amount of stats that we have, tunneling pitches has become the biggest thing, which still is an art of pitching, and you can still bet location off of that. But at the same time, if you truly know, kind of like what you said, if you're stepping into your eyes last night, you said you were sitting dead red, and you are a fastball hitter. I was a guy that sits outside fastball or any pitch that was going away because that was my first pitch opportunity. That's what I wanted to drive. That was everything that I was looking for. So I think if you take the the factor of the approach now is totally different because you really don't know what you're going to get first pitch because guys have such deadly stuff. You take a look at an approach back then when you had like Nolan Ryan, Martinez, um, who's who's another guy that you could throw in there? Probably Bob, I'm going to throw Bob Feller in there just because, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a very older guy, but I mean, you take a look back in those days, I mean, holy shit. You were looking at mostly fastballs. Fastball. Yeah. They threw fastballs. And they threw hard. Yeah. They threw fastballs and they threw hard. That was their whole game plan was, I'm going to throw this ball by you and you can't touch me. Exactly. I agree with that. So Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan, 101. Boom. I'm going to throw this ball by you and you won't be able to hit it. I will tell you this fastball is coming and you still can't hit it. And also, I think that kind of ties away into the, and granted, it is still there, but I think the competitive mentality of baseball has has changed a shitload. Like, if you... I don't if, think everyone's so buddy-buddy now. Like, even mm-hmm. in the pros, like, growing up, like, college, pros, everywhere. Well, everyone's shit, if you want to look so at college, friendly. Tennessee is not buddy-buddy. Tennessee will make you pay for it. As, as seen earlier this year when they had Jordan Beck flip off somebody in the outfield running around after he missed a route on a fly ball in the regionals. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they're all gone, but, like, there are a few guys in there, like, you throw them in there, it's like, 
know, once they step on the field, like, there are no friends. I'm trying to win a game. Yeah. And then there's the poor opposite. There's, like, most of the league where it's, like, everybody's so fucking buddy-buddy. Yeah. Like, dude, compete. And there, there still is that competitive factor. Because, I mean, take this into consideration. So back when the, the Rangers and the, the Jays played in that NLD, or NLCS, or NLDS, I should say, that, I think, showed ten times more of the competitive spark that we've seen in a while. I mean, you had guys that were making errors and everything. It was competitive. And, I mean, you'll get Jose Bautista. He would flip a bat any chance that he got. And granted, that's fine. You hit a game-tying home run, or you hit a lead-taking home run like that, and you're I'm flipping it all day long. But the next year prior, Rube Nanodor decided, you know what, I don't like you. I'm going to throw, throw five knuckles in your face, see if you can take it. Rock Bautista's world. And, I mean, that sparked something. You had guys back in the 80s and 90s who were trucking people at second base just looking for a fight. Uh, Roger Clements had a broken bat come by him, and he just threw it back. I mean, there I, I understand. I like some of the, the fun factor of it is like um, Felix Hernandez, when he was facing Adrian Beltre, struck him out, buckled him on a curveball, and Beltre had no idea that that was even there and just completely ruined him. And they laughed as they were going off the field. I get the friend aspect of baseball because it is a friendly game. Like, I mean, you you get guys that are very, you get uh, like Javier Baez, Francisco Lindor, um, Freddie Freeman, Anthony Rizzo, probably some of the friendliest guys in baseball. But sometimes they can even flip a switch. I love seeing the switch get flipped to so much competitiveness and drive and just Joe Kelly when he struck out. I think it was Correa, I believe, or Springer. Back after the the whole cheating scandal with the the Astros, and Joe Kelly was mouthing off, and then he finally gave the frowny face walking out of the mat or walking off the mound. It's like, dude, give me more of that. I don't. I want the competitiveness. I don't want the baby bitchiness. I don't want you screaming. I don't want you saying, "Oh my gosh, Joe Musgrove is carving us up because he's got stuff on his ears." Like, can we go check his ears? It's like, no. If you're the Mets, you choked and you choked hard. You didn't sell anybody at the trade deadline. You didn't pick. You really didn't pick anybody up. You did not make yourself a better team. And the Braves kept the same mentality the whole season. We are going to bury everybody and get back. And you know what? They freaking did. And then you come in, and Joe Musgrove is carving you up. His velocity was a lot higher. He was on a lot more rest. And I, I saw a TikTok on the, on this because he his his quote-unquote, or it wasn't even a quote, his spin rates were higher. Like, if you take a look at the stat that was on the pages that everybody's posting about, his spin rates were higher. By, by a decent amount, but at the same time, when you throw harder, your spin rates are going to be there because your arm is rested. You have a little bit more control. You have a little bit more of an ability to reach back and clock one out. I personally think that if you're going to have baseball be this way, you need to get back to a little bit more of the competitive side where everybody is just lighting a fire under your ass and you're going. Go. It doesn't have to be to the same level of we're throwing punches at second base every five seconds. It's not taking people out. It's not doing that whole same thing because baseball has changed regardless. But I think if you're going to take a look at it, you need a little bit more of that competitive factor there. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, that's where I sit. So, 
With, did you have anything to add? Sorry. No, nope, I was like, I think you're right. <laughs> All right. I don't, I don't say that very often. That yeah, I was gonna say there. There's one thing that Kenny and I can kind of find an agreement on, and that's sports, and that's a point of where we don't like some of the softness that happens. And we'll touch on that in the NFL. Don't you worry, folks. There was a there was a lot, and the uh, we'll we'll touch on that in a little bit. So moving right along in this MLB playoff, the Phillies take game one against the Braves. Max Fried had a horrible day, pitching wise. Granted, it's going to happen. It came at a bad time, considering the fact that Max Fried last year in the postseason unstoppable. The Braves pitching staff unstoppable. He felt a little bit of a snubble back. It cost them game one, and a little bit of play cost the Braves game one as well. But the Phillies ended up putting up a seven spot on twelve hits. They ended up taking that game seven to six. So they have a one-run lead. That game is currently in a rain delay as we are recording this on on Wednesday, October 12th. The Mariners ended up dropping a game to the Astros as they felt their own comeback happen as they had a big big run or a big lead on the Astros last night. I was sitting in a blind watching the scoring updates on that one. Jordan Alvarez hits a massive three-run shot in the ninth. And this is the biggest thing that Kenny will laugh at me about because back in 2021 on MLB The Show and back in this year as well, Jordan Alvarez was my clutchest hitter on needing home runs. And you can ask him because anytime I said, holy shit, I need a home run, Jordan Alvarez would find a way to step up to the plate and take a pitch gone. Jordan Alvarez consistently still does that for me, and obviously he still does that for the Astros. I mean, it was majestic, folks. Like, I think the funniest part about that whole thing <laughs> is um, I got home from work yesterday, and my dad was like, you see uh, the Astros had a walk-off home run? And I was like, and he goes, yeah, Jordan Alvarez did it. Well, of course he did. My dad was <laughs> looking at me, and I was like, yeah, what? You, you didn't think Jordan Alvarez was going to hit a clutch home run? Come on now. You ever seen that kid with him? <laughs> I mean, it's it's so true because I don't know what it was. Even there would be times where Kenny would immediately just walk out of the room and say, "Nick, how you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm sucking." He goes, "Well, I'll just wait for Jordan." And then all of a sudden, it would be a bomb, and we would be sitting there dying and giggling like schoolgirls, just laughing because Jordan Alvarez would either tie the game or put me back ahead at some point. But and then he'd blow in, and then he'd blow in the ninth because he can't pitch. Pretty much, yeah, that, that seems about right. So if anybody wants to challenge me on MLB The Show, just wait till about the 7th or 8th inning if I'm beating you or losing and tie it. You'll still probably find a way to win. So flipping it back over, another or ALDS. The Yankees ended up beating the Guardians last night 4-1. to one. Brett or uh, Harrison Bader absolutely blasts the bomb. So does Rizzo. That was a 4-1, 4-1 game, like I said, for the Yankees. The Dodgers, viva los Dodgers! The most wins in baseball so far with 111. They had five runs last night, and they ended up beating the Padres 5-3 in that good old rivalry that is National League Baseball that comes from the California teams. Because there are a there there that whole triangle that you got there with the, the Padres and the the Dodgers and the Giants, it's gonna just be uh it's gonna be there. That that rivalry will never go away. But Really? Oh, yeah, I know. And I'm sad to say that we are recording this after this all starts because I wanted to give some predictions, but I kind of feel like we can still give some based on how these games have gone. So kind of taking a look at, like I said, the Phillies and the Braves are having a game today on October 12th. That game is currently in a rain delay. Kyle Wright, pitcher for 
um, the Braves as well. It is the top of the first, so the Phillies are up. Schwarber is currently the batter as this count stands as well. But I personally think that if you take a look at the Braves, and I did see, I saw a clip of, on social media about this where they said that the Braves have been probably one of the most consistent teams this year in baseball. And I think if you actually look at their schedule consistently, yes, they have, they've just been top in the charts. Like, I mean, it's, it was it was a good season for the Braves. I mean, they started off a little bit they started off a little slow, but then they found a way to start picking it up, picking it up, picking it up. They went on a huge win streak starting with Arizona back on June 1st. They didn't lose a game all the way until July 17th. They went a whole month and pretty much a month and a half of baseball without losing a game. That was huge for the Braves. And like I said, the Braves repeated the same team as they did last year strictly without Freddie Freeman, I believe. I, th- I think that was the only real big loss that they had. Dansby Swanson came up clutch this year. Ronald Acuna was still doing clutch. Ozzie Albee's still doing his stuff. Oh, I think we just lost Kenny. We did just lose Kenny. I believe he went into a parking garage. So, we'll keep going here. We'll see if we can get him back in a second. Yep, we got him right here. Hold on. We are getting him back. We are getting him back. We got him back. Kenny, you good? Yeah, I went down in the elevator. I was going to say, I went down in the elevator. But like I was saying, so the Braves didn't lose a game for a whole month and a half, from June all the way to July 17th. They kept that consistency going with little win streaks here and there, a couple of losses and, and some crucial moments, but not too, not too bad. The Mets were a little bit of a bigger trouble. Now, when you actually go to the second half of the year, the Braves were cruising. The Braves just decided to do... The same thing that they did last year and just win, blow everybody out. They dropped the series to the Cardinals. They ended up going after that series, dropping one game to the to the Rockies and then moving all the way through. Phillies Nationals didn't really give them a problem. They kept kind of swapping back and forth with the Mets for the second half of the year. Finally ended up sweeping the Mets in a three-game series and then coming into postseason play, they were hot. There was a fire right under them. They were hot. They were ready to go. Well, the Phillies had the same idea after being in the or after being in the run for the wild card. They beat a really, really, really good Cardinals team. Ended up forcing, um, forcing them to go home. And then you throw it back to the other side of the of the National League. You had the Padres and the Dodgers. The Dodgers and Kenny is a big Dodgers fan. If anybody has not figured this out yet, Kenny is a Viva Los Dodgers. And the Padres this year. Decided to keep coming up and just giving everybody fits. They ended up winning almost 90 games this season. They're at 89-73 even after their wins in the postseason. Tonight on on the mound for the Padres is you Darvish and then Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers. Now, even though this will be after the day that this game happens, Kenny, you and I both know very well of your frustrations with Kershaw in the postseason. Yeah. How how do you feel about the game? How do you feel about a one-run lead after Urias had an absolute fantastic outing last night? How do you feel about game two tonight with Kershaw on the mound facing a very, very dangerous Padres offense? You know, I can't say I'm not worried, right? Because, like, stats prove it that Back in the day, right, if you if you look across a ton of stats, teams that 
would win a lot against a certain team in the regular season mm-hmm. tend to lose in playoffs against that team. And I think the Dodgers, I'm hoping, right, that the Dodgers don't fall into that trend. Talked about announcer so try yesterday, big brother kicking the shit out of the little brother. Mm-hmm. Right, because you look at uh, the Padres. Padres finally started to, spend some money this year to keep up with the Dodgers. I think a lot of teams did as well. Not just the Padres, but yes, that was a big factor for the National League was they they did spend money. And I think when you really look at that, the main thing to focus on there is they're pitching Kershaw game two. Why are they pitching Kershaw game two? Strictly because Kershaw has been in this situation before. He's up 1-0. They don't want him to pitch in a must-win game. He's up 1-0. He's going to pitch tonight. If they were down 0-1, he's still not in a must-win game. Agreed. Well, so actually, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. If he is down 1-0, then he is in a must-win game because they need to keep the season alive. Actually, no, wait. The wild card is best of three. Never mind. You're right. Sorry. Go ahead. But they're going to be in the NLDS, so yes. it's the best Sorry. of five. Good Lord. Wow, I'm Thank a baseball you. fan. <laughs> anyway, they put him game two. That's why. He's not in a must-win situation. They don't have to worry about him. If he goes out and he shoves and they're up 2-0, great. Let him boost his stats. He's going to be a, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He goes down. He gets the shit kicked out of him. Oh, well, he did what everyone expected. Mm-hmm. It's 1-1 going into game three. Fair enough. So with that... We'll do predictions for the NLDS here. I personally think the Braves are still going to be able to stomp the Phillies. I think that the Phillies are a very good team, but I still think that the Braves, as good as they have looked throughout the season, they've kept up their numbers. I think offensively the Braves will still do it. I think it will come down to the wire, though. I think the Braves go 3-2 over the Phillies to move on to the NLCS, and I do think that they face the Dodgers. I like how the Padres look offensively. I just don't know how how truly deep their bullpen can go with this just very, very experienced staff of the Dodgers, who especially with adding Freddie Freeman this year, that's huge for them. I mean, that that's insane, like, because they, they have another consistent bat that is able to be there. Um, he has done really well this year. He's kept up the same, pretty much the same numbers. I think that the Dodgers win it, but I think that it's a 3-1 series for the Dodgers. I think that the Padres are going to be able to steal one somewhere, whether it be tonight in game two or whether it be tomorrow or whether it be when they move home and they get one at home. But I still think that the Dodgers end up taking that 3-1. to one. Kenny, Phillies, Braves, who do you got? Phillies are up 1-0. Um, I got to go Phillies strictly because of Bryson Stott. And the reason I say that is I play ball with Bryson Stott. Okay. I want to see the guy succeed. I want to see the guy do good. All right. Um, I want to see that guy make the NLCS. All right. So I will say Phillies in four. Phillies in four. Wow. I like that. All right. Four. I'm a big fan. 
Um, big fan of Bryson Stott. Not gonna lie, played <laughs> ball with him. Uh, great guy. Great, great guy. Dude. Great teammate. Uh, so what's funny, right, is Bryson Stott was just so playing ball against him in high school, right? He was he was a dude, right? He gotcha. was a dude. He, he was the he was the guy you walked on the field, and the coach knew who he was. You knew the pitcher knew who he was. Like you didn't want to throw to Bryson Stott. He wasn't a home run guy. Not been a home run guy. Yeah, but he was sure as shit a double fast guy. He was a guy if he got on first, he was stealing second. Yeah, he was that guy. You didn't want him on base. And then I played travel ball with him. Funny story about him, right? Is we were playing at the um, spring training facility on the, oh, I believe it was the San Diego field on the San, on the San Diego side. Okay. Um, and guys on uh, first and second, down by, down by one. All right. Bottom of the inning, I'm pinch hitting. Bryson Stott is behind me. All the scouts are there to see Bryson Stott. <laughs> and you're just sitting there like, oh, man. I'm just in the way. That's <laughs> it. I'm in the way. Well, what nobody expected was, I think Bryson Stott's two years older than I am. So he was a junior when I was a freshman. All right. Nobody expected the freshman boy to come up and hit a walk-off triple, so Bryson Stott didn't hit. <laughs> you said, screw you, I'm taking the moment. And right. for well, those I, of you that don't well, know, I, triple. and I'm sorry, right. for those Here's of you who don't, off. hold on, for those of you who don't know, Kenny is Kenny and triples do not go together. I say this I say this nice because I'm a best friend, but I can also say this because I am his best friend. Kenny and Triples do not go together at freaking all. I mean, dude, doubles. Doubles for Kenny. He loves them. Mostly because he has warning track power and he can't really get it out. But <laughs> sorry. Anyway. Although he did hit a tank in college and that thing was a freaking bomb. What was it against? I was it against Iowa Central or Upper Iowa? Uh, that was against Minnesota West or Minnesota. Yeah, he this ball was a tank. I mean, you knew it by the sound of the bat. And obviously, Kenny knew it from the feel of. I felt nothing as I hit this. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that ball was him. As soon as I hit it, that ball was him. Yeah, that bat but, ended up at the fence. So here's the funny part: as you say that, right? Okay. This should not have been a triple. I hit this ball into left center, pulled it, <laughs> per usual. Pulled it. I hit this ball into left center field. Rope, left center, one hop the wall. Both guys are sprinting for it. I'm moving my big ass fast as I can, <laughs> trying to get trying to get it on. And as we're going, I hit second base, round it. My third base coach has got the full-blown stop sign up. Like, you know the lackadaisical hands up? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. he's just, yeah. Nice job. I kept going. <laughs> You're like, I got this. Um, I kept going. He was the stupid part about I kept going. I hit second, rounded for third. 
the ball was coming back onto the infield three steps off the second base bag. <laughs> you you had but no I clue. Rounded, <laughs> I was rounded heading for third. And it, it was literally one of those scenarios where the shortstop caught the ball, lackadaisically turned around thinking, all right, easy stand-up double, nice hit. Turned around and went, oh, shit, he's going. <laughs> and he threw his ball, sidearm, up the dugout. Oh, no. <laughs> Emil threw it out of the stadium. Oh. Emil threw it literally off the field of how high he threw his ball. The third baseman literally sat there and just looked up. Oh, no. By no means do me and Triples ever go together. Because even then, I should have been a host. So you you basically had a double with a throwing error is what I'm hearing. <laughs> I had a triple because you can't assume an out. He gets me on a technicality. I tried to be professional. Technicality, Nick. I never stopped. <laughs> I never stopped running. Ergo, I was going three. Which, Facts. Oh Lord, nobody can drive in this town. And Kenny currently on the freeway. So he's got he's got the Phillies in four. What do you got for the Dodgers and the Potties? You know, I got to have faith in my boys. I got to have faith in Kershaw. We're going to go. We're going to win this World Series. I got to have faith. Dodgers in three. Dodgers in three. He's going for the World Series victory. All right. Moving it to the NLDS. Or the ALDS. Excuse me. First off, Astros, like I said, took game one. Yankees took game one. <clears throat> the Mariners this year have, have shocked a lot of people. They probably have one of the youngest and well-unknown, ro- or like unknown-ish rosters. And also, as we're talking about this, it is currently now the bottom of the first inning. Matt Olson is up to bat. Nobody has scored. There have been no hits allowed. Two outs for the Braves. We're moving in on this. As Acuna led off, Dansby Swanson was hitting second. Matt Olson, which was a great pickup by the Braves, is now hitting. Anyways, moving on to the ALDS, like I said, the Astros took game one on a Jordan Alvarez just bomb. I personally think that, yes, the Astros are, once again, the team to beat in the American League. If there was a team that I actually think could bring them down, I'm going to go with the Seattle Mariners. And I think that this will be another five-game series, and I think the Mariners will take up 3-2. But I personally think that if you look at how this Mariners team plays, they've got two games coming up in Houston after tonight. They've got um, currently on the mound for the Mariners. They've got Castillo on the mound. They're going to face, and this is tomorrow. And then they face... Um, Oh my gosh, I just had it up. What the hell? I'm screwing up all over the board. I apologize, people. Framber Valdez is on the mound for the Astros. I think that the Strohs go up 2-0 on this series. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. That's the game of baseball. But I think that the Strohs go up 2-0. But I think that the Mariners come back. They get a lot of momentum at home. They have such a young team that is able to... Granted, they haven't been in this position before. The Astros have been here time and time again. Jordan has been here for multiple postseasons. Cal Tucker been here for multiple postseasons. Obviously, that Astros lineup from top to bottom has been experienced. Even my homeboy, Jake Myers from Omaha, has been experienced. And would I love to see Jake make another World Series like he did last year? Yes. 
I personally would like to see the Mariners actually put a stop to the Astros and one dynasty juggernaut goes down. I've got... Glad we're on the same page. Now, I say they do it in five, so it's a 3-2 series. What do you do? You think it's a five-game series? I think it's five as well. I really do. I think they got to go home. They got to go home. They got to go get. They got to get momentum at home. And I, I think, think if they can go home and they can win two games at home, they'll come back and win a third. And that was the biggest thing for the Braves, I believe, last year again, because the Braves had they had such a good team, and they ended up beating the Astros at home or in Houston. But the Braves, when they were at home, were just on fire. The Astros, when they play on the road in the postseason, just have not been so... It, it just hasn't been been there. The Astros, when they're on the road in the postseason, is very, very, very crucial to anybody else playing them just on the fact of... We, we have we have a momentum shift let's put it let's put it to them and I think you can argue the fact that that's any team in the postseason in the in the NFL playoffs and college football whatever you have obviously a huge momentum shift when you are playing at home I personally think for the Astros though if you take a look at it in the postseason they just truly do not really do well on the road. And sometimes that is strictly in the regular season as well. But the Astros are a team that in the postseason, it gets a lot, it gets too much, and they can't really do much. So I think if we're both on a grants, 3-2, Mariners, moving on. Julio Rodriguez needs to catch fire again. Riley for for the Mariners has just been going, or Riley for the Mariners has been going off. So keep going there. Now throwing it to the Yankees and the Guardians. I think this is... I think that the Yankees are probably going to be the team to come out of this. Do the Guardians have the pitching staff to be able to get them through? I do believe so. Shane Bieber starts on the mound tomorrow for for the or for the Guardians, but Cortez starts on the mound for the Yankees, and Cortez is also one of those guys that just has just ungodly filthy movement. The Yankees this year, after the All Star break, were inconsistent. They struggled after the All Star break. And they found a way to pick it back up and get it towards the end of the season to where the they they blocked back that comeback here on the on the AL East side and were able to push it back forward to in favor of New York and the Bronx. Personally, though, I believe that the Yankees bats are just too it, it it's a lot. You've got Anthony Rizzo, you've got Josh Donaldson, who last night got thrown out at first thinking that he had a bomb and he didn't, and granted. That's that's where you see where that ball landed and what it was going to do. But you also have, at the same time, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and Harrison Bader. You have a great lineup to be able to do the, thing, do the things that you are able to do. And I believe it was last night that Garrett Cole got a win for him. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, Garrett Cole got a win. So Garrett Cole is done. Well, Garrett Cole's down for one game now, or until probably a game five, which do I think it will get there? No, I think the Yankees win in four. So, what do you, what do you got for the Yankees-Guardians? Since we agreed on one on the AL side, what, do, you have guard, or do you have Yankees in four, or are you taking Cleveland? What are you doing? Um, Yankees. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a Yankee-Dodgers World Series. Gotcha. 
I'm I'm fairly confident it's going to be a Yankees Dodgers World Series battle of the payroll. Um, <laughs> I like it. And you know, I Yankees and four. I, I'd have to say Yankees and four. Yankees and four. All right. Yankees and four. There's got to be one game where they face a stud pitcher because Yankees are a stud. Can't blind. I I so, agree. No going about it. Yankees hit. Yankees can hit. Yankees have a big hitting lineup. But what has been the word? Yeah. Good pitching will always beat good hitting. So, we I believe bo- that. We both agree Yankees in four. We both agree Mariners in five. You had the Phillies in four. Then you had the Dodgers. I had the Phillies, or I had the Braves. In five, I had the Dodgers in four. I had the Mariners in five and the Yankees in four as well. Looking right along with it, as the lineups stand today, so on Saturday would be the next day because you would get a travel day from Friday for some of the teams. Um, So Friday, the Braves go to Philadelphia. The Dodgers go to San, or San Diego. Going on to Saturday, Braves are still at Philly. Mariners host the Astros. Guardians host the Yankees. And Cleveland, as a postseason, you you guys are are relentless. I'll give you that. And then San Diego hosts the Dodgers again. Now you think it's going to be a Yankees World Yankees Dodgers World Series. I personally don't think that the the Mariners will be able to beat the Yankees. Just strictly like you said, it's a hitting lineup. They do have great pitching as well. I think that it'll be a Braves-Yankees World Series. I think that the Braves get back for two years in a row. But here's the thing. Do the Yankees, what what are they searching for now? Ring number 28? Is it 28? Yeah, it's 28. I still don't think that the Yankees have the team to build for ring 28. I think the Braves repeat. I, I think that might be the hot take. I, and and this, is where, this is where my hot take stands at. The Braves have to get past the Dodgers, who are the hottest team in baseball throughout the entire year, pretty much. The Dodgers have, so far as it stands, 111 wins. But my biggest thing was last year that proved me factual on the Braves. You lost Freddie Freeman, but you pick up Matt Olson, and Matt Olson has just been an awesome addition to the Braves. You have Olson, you have Albies, you have Acuna, you have Swanson, and you have Austin Riley. You have a great starting rotation and a pitching staff that still won you the thing last year against the Astros. My biggest thing is that they can play on the road in the postseason. The road was not the biggest factor for them last year at all. They were able to, they had mistakes, yes. But I think that the Braves will be able to deal with with the road. At LA, it'll be hard. It'll be a struggle. It'll be a shit show. But I think that the Braves are able to get past that. And you are. Yeah. <laughs> Being the Dodgers biasy that you are, you got the Dodgers and you got the Yankees. Am I am I wrong in saying that? Yes. I got the Dodgers and I got the Yankees and I got the Dodgers in five. Dodgers in five. Wow. 
I would say if I have a three-peat, I think it'll go six. I've got the Braves in six in a World Series. And shit's going to change. And by the time we get to the actual World Series, if our teams don't make it, then we got to repick because that's how it goes. But at the time, Dodgers in five, Braves in six for the World Series. Now, moving right along to the good old NFL. And like I said... We got Dr. Jack on the show. If you guys are just joining us halfway through this, if you guys decided to watch this and fall asleep at night or whatever, but we got Kenny Wexler back on the show, and we love having him. And the biggest thing that I wanted him for was MLB, but also NFL, because he can leave at the college football segment like he did last week. We'll let him get his final words in before we move on to that. (laughs) But we've missed a lot in the NFL in in a a two-week time. But at the same time, Moving along to last week, I mean, the Broncos consistently dealing with troubles. They've got the Chargers this week. But moving along to the Thursday night game, 12-9. to 12-9. Matt Ryan sneaks out a win strictly off field goals. No touchdowns were scored in the entirety of the game. It looked like an Iowa football game in week one and two. I'm sorry, I had to throw you under the bus. You kick a game-winning field goal to uh, win it in overtime, 12 to nine. Russell Wilson with two interceptions on the week or on the day. Broncos country, let's ride is looking like a like like a hard let's flop. And I I say that with a heavy heavy heart because I had such high expectations coming into this year. Can Hackett flip it around? I, I I strictly think so. But as the way that the Broncos look right now. It's tough. Wait, you're asking if the head coach can flip it around? He play calling right now has so far been on the coaching staff. He also, <laughs> sorry, we didn't get. Say that one more time so we can get the audible in here. A blind quarterback. That is also true. Wilson has forgot how to play quarterback. <laughs> I was I was blaming the head coach in the beginning. Bad play calling, bad, bad clock management, doesn't know what he's doing. You can only blame the guy for so long when Russell Wilson looks like peewee football. Yeah. You got a quarterback who forgot how to be a quarterback. You got a running back who can't hang on to the ball. And you got wide receivers who are getting so pissed off because they're getting overthrown. They're getting missed. Wide open guys are not getting the ball. But hey, triple coverage. Let's try and spin it in to Cortland Sutton. And that's also where I'm going to point point this out because I have argued this with my buddy who's at at work, who's a Broncos fan. I'm going to argue this when we when we picked him up. KJ Hamler needs to be targeted more and needs to be targeted in better situations. Why? Because at Penn State, he was a guy that made plays and kept that Nittany Lions team and Franklin's job on the board. K.J. Hamler is a guy that can get it done, and he can be a guy that bounces off very, very well with Sutton and Judy because when Sutton, like you said, is triple covered and you're going to try to throw it in the end zone to him and Hamler's sitting in the back right there, just peep it over and just just hit, hit Hamler in the back. The biggest problem that I see with Hamler is is that he is too wide open at some points in my in my opinion 
But because we have such an offensive scheme of we need to get it to Sutton, we need to get get it to Judy, like we we don't have an offensive line to be able to protect Russell Wilson. I personally think that KJ Hamler needs to be targeted more because you don't have Jerry Judy and you don't have Sutton at times. I I personally I agree. Personally think we're still down a quarterback. That we still need a quarterback. Yeah, he is not. Russell the Wilson Broncos has looked crappy. Have a top five defense this year. Top five defense, and they're getting exhausted. Yeah, the Broncos should be the other. On undefeated team this year, but we keep losing to fucking teams that we should beat. Worse, we should be four and one with a loss to the Raiders. <clears throat> we lost to Geno Smith, who once again peewee football blew the game. Then we lose to the Colts because Lord knows we can't get in the end zone because Russell Wilson and peewee football. <laughs> There's a five-year-old toddler I want as my quarterback. Well, he has not said anything that I, I will disagree with at all. As a, as a, Coming from a Broncos fan, <laughs> and I think coming from a lot of the minds of Broncos fans, you get a receiver who slams his helmet, you get a quarterback whose turnover rate has been higher than it has been in his entire career, and who is not able to hit good receivers in good spots. We're one of the only Broncos can understand that they do not hold back. They do not hold back. Yeah. Not only have we had Broncos country count down the fucking play clock, but they left in overtime. Yeah. The stadium emptied out for overtime. That's how shitty Russell Wilson is. Not the Broncos offense, not the head coach, not the defense. That's how dog shit Russell Wilson is. Let's ride to the fucking playbook and find out how to be a quarterback. (laughs) Country needs a quarterback and you blow. I knew he was going to get so heated about this. Cause I'm 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 so heated about this too, but man, oh man! If if you want to talk about frustration on an NFL fan base, ladies and gentlemen, it's a Bronco fan. And granted, Lions fans can say it. We went, we were the one of the shittiest teams in football at one point. Browns fans can say it. Every I bet everybody can say it. Jacksonville can say it. But no, Broncos fans are dealing with a lot. And we got the Chargers coming up on another primetime game. And I'm going to steal the show for Kenny for a second. But he also said, why the hell are the Broncos getting another primetime prime game? Nobody knows. It was on the schedule before it even happened because Thursday night football has to do this. So, or Monday night football, excuse me, I believe. I'll have to check that on the schedule real quick. But moving right along to Sunday's games before we get into the or get into any more just screaming from both of us because we can make this a whole Broncos football podcast of just disappointment. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers <clears throat> go into London and say, "You know what? <laughs> the Giants look like a fun team to lose to." And the Giants this year have they're 4 and 1, ladies and gentlemen. The Giants are are moving on. 27 to 22. Aaron Rodgers didn't even throw an interception. 
had two touchdowns. The Packers defense just weren't able to hold in the full in the fourth quarter. They got a safety, but they weren't able to hold. Big 14th point fourth quarter for the Giants. Moved them along. Saquon Barkley had a rushing touchdown as well. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are looking very mediocre as predicted without Devontae Adams, but still they've got a lot of guys being able to step up there. Still high. Yeah. So, the Bills and the Steelers. The Steelers this year are not looking like the Steelers of old in the last decade. The Bills, however, are looking like another playoff team that say the Super Bowl is going to be ours this year. Josh Allen is wanting to lead this team to the point to where Joe Kelly can't, and I really am sorry, Mr. Kelly, but I think Josh Allen will actually get you to a Super Bowl. I think Bills Mafia is looking at a pretty good shot this year. 38-3 against the Steelers. Josh Allen, 424 yards, four touchdowns. Has not skipped a beat this year. Has not skipped a stiff arm. He's moving through. The Chargers... Ended up beating the Browns by two, 30-28 last week. Vikings, big, big, big win over the Chicago Bears. They're 4-1 this year as well with a big steal away from the ball from a former Vikings Cinemont last week. As Kirk Cousins was able to drive the Vikings down the field, get a big get a big touchdown as Justin Fields decided he wanted to play ball. The Bears decided that their defense wanted to show up and play ball. They ended up getting 18 unanswered points, but ended up falling just short as the Vikings defense with a big hold. Dalvin Cook, two touchdowns as well. The Patriots blanked the Lions 29 to nothing. The Saints ended up beating the Seahawks 39 to 32. Also a couple of crucial turnovers there in the Saints game. Um, Geno Smith with three touchdowns last week. The the backup Pee Wee football quarterback still able to sling it around with that Seahawks offense, but the Saints able to take that win away. The Jets are winning. They're three and two on the year. They beat the Dolphins forty to seventeen without Tua. Teddy Bridgewater still in that running. Tyree Kill somewhat out this week with a little bit of a foot injury. He had to leave last week. Zach Wilson and the Jets trying to figure this out. I think it's one of the highest scoring Jets games I've ever seen so far in my tenure to football of, you know, breathing and living as a football fan. 40-17 to Jets over the Dolphins. Buccaneers end up taking a game 21-15. to There was a conflict of interest on a roughing the passer call against good old Tom Brady. And personally... I think that the Falcons got absolutely screwed over by this because how are you supposed to get away with a uh, sack without even trying to roll the quarterback over to get him down? And Kenny, I would I would like to hear your your little bit lengthy opinion on this because I know that you are a guy that is strictly like we need to hit more in football. We need to be able to kind of get our get our shit together and clock some people because I know you like clocking people. You, you are a very big physical guy. So with Nothing. that being said, tell the people what you thought about the fact that now you can't even roll the quarterback over to get him down. No, that's not the rule. That, that's the Tom Brady rule. <clears throat> that, that's all it is. It's just the Tom Brady rule. Um, for those of you that saw good old uh, Kenny Pickett, played the good old Bills Mafia and watched him slide for a first down 
and get clocked in the head was not a roughing the passer, was not a personal foul, was not anything. But Tom Brady gets sacked. Flag. Why? Because you laid a finger on Tom Brady. And everyone will say, like, oh, he's got to earn his right. He's got to earn his right to be there. He's got to get hit a few times. Great. We're going to allow Kenny Pickett hit in the head, slide it. This wasn't even close. It was like Pickett had, was just beginning his slide and was already going to tackle him. No, Kenny Pickett had begun the slide. Get out of the way. Flag thrown on that. Like, are you serious? Like, young quarterback has to prove that he's, that he has the right to be there. He also has the right to be protected. Agreed. Touch the quarterback now. I get it, like, but pick yourself up. You slide it. They slide it, hit, but sit there and be like, oh, what if he fake slides again? Gives him every right to get blown up every time he goes to slide. And and this is the one thing that I want to I want to highlight with the rule now. So in the NFL, the rule is that you are no longer allowed to put your quote unquote body weight on the quarterback, because the Raiders and the Chiefs had a roughing the passer call as well, and the the Chiefs had a lot of penalties not go their way, and that was a lot of kind of bullshit that was happening in that game as well. And <clears throat> personally, I think that one. And th- this might get a lot of heat, but I, I want to talk about it. In the NFL now, I think that quarterbacks could even get penalized because of sometimes, and Kenny Pickett was not at fault for this one. Kenny Pickett slid way early, and I agree, the Buffalo Bills defender came in hard-headed and went after him. But as a defender in the NFL, and in college football as well, because there are so many targeting calls and hits against the quarterback and hit against receivers that and running backs especially too that go this way. As a quarterback, if you're running to the first down marker or whatnot, if you're still trying to stay up by the first down marker and decide I'm going to slide just before I get hit, I understand the head and neck injury is a big deal. I understand that concussions this year and in the past few years for the NFL and college football have been a huge deal. I personally believe that a quarterback could even get penalized for trying to put a defensive player in that position. And granted, yes, it's a way to to win the game. It's a way to move the ball forward, get a couple extra yards, get that first down, put yourself in a situation for success as your team. But at the same time, as a running back hitting the hole, your head is down, Substan- not, I wouldn't say substantially because you still have to look up to see, but your head is down. As a quarterback, you are trying to slide. Targeting calls are strictly put in place to protect the head and neck area. But as a QB, if you are sliding for the first down marker, if you're trying to get an extra yard before you go down, you have put yourself now in that area to get blown up. I think that quarterbacks now are getting away with a lot more than what they should because they are leading a defense on and saying, okay, come hit me. Shit, this was a bad decision. I got I to gotta duck now. 
if it's if if a shoulder pad or a helmet and everything else strictly still goes to that, but as a defensive player, where do you draw the line from I cannot stop my forward momentum? And and this goes into the running the kicker penalty as well, folks. The running into the kicker penalty, I think, is the dumbest thing in football just because, strictly, if I'm diving to block a punt or a field goal and I touch you on the foot and you fall or it hurts, quote-unquote, hurts you, granted, I understand the ACL is a big, and sorry, Kenny, PTSD, but the the ACL is a tough, is a tough, it has a lot of work to put up. A lot of people tear it. Punters and kickers are probably one of the, they're the most at risk because their leg is sticking straight out, and if you hit it wrong, that's the easiest tear. But at the same time, if I get blocked into a guy or if I'm trying to dive, I have no control of my body and where it's supposed to go and I'm going to get flagged for that. I think that's bullshit. I think that if a quarterback is trying to get an extra 15 yards of I'm just going to gonna run and slide right before I get hit, and Joe Burrow has experienced this. Joe Burrow had no idea how to slide because he's a physical guy. He loves to he loves to take it to people. Josh Allen, one of those other physical guys as well in our in our generation of football. I it, it it's such it's such a gray area of where do you draw the line for a true roughing the passer? I personally think that if you're gonna throw the ball, you've gotten away for two seconds and then somebody comes and cheap shots you, oh by all means you're gonna get flagged for that. But Tom Brady getting getting rolled over to get his knee on the ground or to get some part of his body on the ground for him to be down, get sacked, not throw the ball, whatever, that's not a penalty. The Raiders fully sack or the the Chiefs fully sacking Derek Carr, not a penalty. I think that Kenny Pickett, that was a penalty. Yeah, that was not called. But I, I think that there is such a gray area that you have to look at. And I think that not a lot of people do. And that's that's especially with the targeting in college football. I mean, there have been so many hits in college football that have been like tar- or been penalized for targeting, reviewed, and it's still targeting when they're clean hits, but just because the guy is either going down on some sort of emotion or they're lowering their head to try to get through or lowering their shoulders, sliding, whatever, and it's still not a targeting because I'm I'm trying to meet you so that you go down. I'm not going to just want to put a hand on you. The NFL rule is that if nobody touches you and you like if Kenny Pickett would have slid and nobody touched him, he could have ran for that first down anyways. Tom no, Brady, what? When you slide in the NFL as a quarterback, are you right? You're yeah. giving yourself up. You're down. I'm also basing this off the NFL rule of you have to get touched while you're down. In college, it's it's strictly as soon as you go down, even falling in the backfield, you're down. So, yes, correction on that. Thank you, Kenny, for checking my unfactual information. Because quarterbacks especially, they're, they're at a lot of risk. You're giving yourself up. Yeah. But, no, so Tom Brady gets flagged on. Kenny Pickett does not. The, the, the roughness of football has been questioned. Moving right along through last week's scores. Titans end up beating the Commanders 21-17. Texans take a win over the Jags. Oh, excuse me. Their first win of the season, 13-6. Niners end up just steamrolling the Panthers. Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> continuing to fill his pocketbook with two touchdowns last week. 37-15. Cowboys end up taking... 
a Sunday game away as well from the Rams, 22-10. to 10. Eagles looking probably like, I'm, I'm going to say it, the Eagles are looking like the best team in the league at the moment. Offensively and and defense. I mean, they're they're five and zero, and especially they're three and zero on the road. This is an Eagles team that has not seen numbers somewhat like this since Nick Foles, and when they actually won, uh, won a Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts is leading this offense very very well. Beat a very good Cardinals team with Kyler Murray, even though they've struggled a little bit this year. Twenty to seventeen, Ravens take the Bengals out nineteen to seventeen, mainly because. Justin Tucker and the kicking game just blew that one out of the water. Joe Burrow starting to look a little bit better. He had uh, he was thirty four th- or twenty four of thirty five, two hundred and seventeen yards, one touchdown. Ravens take that one away, like I said, and then the Raiders lose a heartbreaker on the road to Kansas City. The Chiefs still looking strong as well, despite all the penalties. Travis or Travis Kelsey, four touchdowns. Mahomes, all four passing touchdowns to Travis Kelsey. If you had both of them on your fantasy teams this week, or if not just one of them, you were winning big because you were down 7 nothing in the, in the first quarter. You had a 10-point in the second, and then Travis Kelsey still able to make it work. 30-29, to your final. Moving into this week as we update the schedule. Tomorrow night's game, or should I say when this comes out on Thursday, the Bears take on the Washington Commanders. I got the Bears in that. Moving right along through the Sunday games, Atlanta, San Francisco, Cleveland hosts New England. Green Bay has the Jets. The Colts have the Jags. Dolphins have the Vikings. The Saints have the Bengals. Giants have Baltimore. Pittsburgh hosts Tampa Bay. That should be another game that Tampa Bay absolutely blows out. The Rams have the Panthers. Baker Mayfield not looking like what what everybody thought. Baker Mayfield with this Panthers team just looks horrible. Pee-wee football. Pee-wee, pee-wee football. Best, best ways to describe it. The Seahawks have the Cardinals. Kansas City has the Bills. The Eagles on Sunday night have the Cowboys. And then, like we said, Monday night, the Chargers have the Broncos. The bye weeks for this week, Houston, Vegas, Tennessee, and Detroit. Now, Kenny, do you have a highlight game of the week? Based on that schedule, or if you're you're looking at it, and like, like I said, I'll reread it off. You have the Falcons versus the Niners, Pats versus the Browns, Jets versus Packers, Jags, Colts, Vikings, Dolphins, Bengals, Saints, Baltimore versus the Giants, Tampa versus Pitt, Carolina versus the Rams, the Cardinals versus the Seahawks, the Bills, Chiefs, and then the Dolphins, or not the Dolphins, sorry, the Eagles versus Dallas. I have two games on here. A game of the week, Ravens, Giants. Ravens Giants. Why? Why? <clears throat> Guarantee that's gonna be a big question. Everyone's gonna be like, "What the fuck? What the two in that game for?" <laughs> I'm I'm asking I'm asking the same freaking thing. Three and two versus four and one. Okay. Are the Giants the real deal? This this shows it. They beat Green Bay. They got to come back. They got to beat the Baltimore Ravens. Are the Giants the real deal, or is it all 
an illusion. They're going to go four and two. Ravens are going to be four and two. What all do the Giants really have? Is this head coach really just this turnaround guy? Turning everything around. He's making a name for the Giants. Or are the Giants getting lucky? Are they being taken? Are people taking him too lightly? And they just getting, they're just winning games by the skin of their teeth. Uh, justifiable, very, very justifiable points there. <clears throat> are the Giants the real deal? Is Mac Jones, or does uh, Daniel Jones, sorry, have the ability to be the Eli Manning, quote unquote? Is Saquon Barkley going to be able to stay healthy and push push or push the Giants through? I like it. My game. By no means are they blowing teams out, and of course nobody can beat Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush is going to take that team to the Super Bowl. <laughs> All right. So that Cooper, Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush takes that team to the Super Bowl. Dak Prescott comes back one week. Somehow he's going to manage to get hurt again. He's going to be out for the season. Cooper Rush wins the Super Bowl. All right. And that's a hot take. And that was a take that I was also willing to discuss here for one of my games of the week. I've got two. I overlooked the Giants and the Ravens. Mostly because I like these last two games that come up on that Sunday roster. I'm going to first start with the Sunday night game because you just mentioned him. Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys. They go to Philly to take on the undefeated 5-0 Jalen Hurts Eagles of Philadelphia. Personally, I think, yes. I think Philly could be the team to beat in the NFL at the moment. They look sharp. They are Firing on all cylinders. Jalen Hurts looks like the quarterback that he was at Bama that he turned into at Oklahoma to get them to try to go to a playoff run. I think that Jalen Hurts has finally found his fit in the NFL and he's and he's moving with it. He's got a good he's got a good team around him. The Eagles defense is still able to get him stops, but the offense is able to get him wins. Throwing it over to the Cowboys, like Kenny said, Cooper Rush. Since you mentioned it, right? Undefeated Eagles. You know, you know who else is undefeated? Who? Cooper Rush in his career. Boom. Mic drop. Cooper exactly. Rush has never lost a game yet. And we're gonna knock on I'm gonna knock on the wood of my apartment here, which I have wood paneling on my apartment. It's it's like the laminated wood. But anyways, Cooper Rush undefeated in his NFL career. Cooper Rush as a quarterback with the Dallas Cowboys, winning. Dak Prescott hurt out. Not returning until facing a very easy schedule. And we talked about it in the last show. Does Cooper Rush take over if Dak Prescott fumbles one, like just just fumbles a game and just decides to lose? I still personally agree so. Kenny believes so. Kenny believes that Cooper Rush is going to be the, the guy that takes Dallas to a Super Bowl and gets them back to a hierarchy. Now, next year, will that fall off? We don't know. Will Dallas actually give Dak Prescott the time that he was paid for when he's hurt and that he he pleaded for? Will they give him that time? I personally think that if you are Dallas right now, you give Dak Prescott the full ability to heal even outside of your seven weeks, and you still see how Cooper Rush goes. I think that if you are Dallas, I think that you could 
beat Philly in this game or expose a lot about the Eagles that the NFL is going to be able to use. And I think the NFC is going to be able to use. I think that Dallas is going to be make this game close. Do they steal a win on the road? I'm yeah, going to call it. Cooper Rush. I'm going to I'm going to go with Cooper Rush on this one. I think Dallas I I do think Dallas steals this one away. You've got CD Lamb, you got Zeke Elliott who in the last week he showed to be a little bit better than he has been so far this season. I think that if you're Cooper Rush and the Cowboys, I think you take a game away from Jalen Hurts and finally make him human. My second game of the week that I was going to pick because you have two teams that are 4-1 and one in the AFC. You've got two teams that faced in the playoffs last year. I think the Bills and the Chiefs is a game to watch. Is the defense going to be able to contain Patrick Mahomes? Is Josh Allen going to be able to drive his way? Kenny just said no on the Bills being able to stop Mahomes. Why do you think that? I want to hear this. Bills Mafia. What do you mean by Bills Mafia? That team has got a ton of weapons. A ton of them. You know what they don't have? A Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Patrick Mahomes is a guy who can literally scramble. He is going to be the greatest football player of all time. He's proving it. Interesting. Year in and year out, he's proving it, that he's going to be he can scramble, he can pass, he can run. What can't this man do? And you're going to tell me that Bill's Mafia defense can control him. You think so? <clears throat> I'm 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 going to go with I'm going to go with yes. I think I think I think they'll meet back in the playoffs for an AFC Championship. I I strictly believe that. I think that the Bills are able to take this one away in the regular season and show that they are a legitimate team. I believe that they will show that they are a team that is on the board because offensively so far, no one in the NFL has been able to really put up the same numbers consistently as the Bills. Just, are we talking about the Bills team that lost to the Dolphins? I, I, I still am, yes. But I, I'm, also, I'm also saying that the Dolphins' defense is all right. But I'm still saying that the Bills are one of those teams that offensively, with Josh Allen and the receiving core that they have, I think the Chiefs better watch out. Because I think the AFC is now going to become a battle of the Chiefs and the Bills for the next four years to come. With the, with the quarterbacking that is there with Mahomes and Josh Allen, I personally believe that the Bills are going to be the team that gives the Chiefs fits year in, year out. The Chiefs are going to be the same with the Bills, but I think in the regular season this year, the Bills are able to get it done, and I think when it comes down to it in the AFC Championship, I'm still going to go with the Bills. I think the Bills are a Super Bowl team this year. Damn. You're telling me Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, I won't mess with Russell Wilson because he's still playing TV football. He'll figure it out someday. <laughs> but I don't even know if he has quarterbacks in the division. 
from the only quarterback, all these teams. The only thing that you're going to see for the next four years, every year, Chiefs still, Chiefs still, Chiefs still, Chiefs still. I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's for the for all four years that they're going to be playing for an AFC championship. I'm saying this year especially, but I'm saying for the AFC this year, or for for the next four years, add Josh Allen to that list of quarterbacks that is sitting there consistently winning or consistently doing good. Even though Derek Carr, and I'll, I'll argue this, I'll argue that Derek Carr and the Raiders do not shy up to their losing record that they have. I think that the Raiders as a team with with the talent that they have and Derek Carr at the helm, I think their one and four record this year is despite what they are. Because take a look at their games here. The Cardinals beat them twenty nine to twenty three. The Titans twenty four to twenty two. Should have won that game. Yep. The Broncos, they they beat the Broncos thirty two to twenty three. football. Yep. Not hard to beat a five-year-old toddler. That's blind. The Raiders lost to the Chiefs earlier on Monday night. But take a look at these. Lo- take a look at these losses here because I'm going to say it. It's Nebraska-esque, folks. You lost by six to the Cardinals. You lost by two to the Titans. You won. Should have won. Well, you won by eleven to the Broncos, but then you lost. To the Chiefs by one. One-score games are so far not their business. Their defense struggles a little bit kind of when it comes down to the wire. But I still think throughout throughout the thresholds of these games, the Raiders have stayed in this. The Raiders have been consistent on being able to still put up good offensive numbers. You just have not found your stride on what makes you your team. And I still think that the Raiders you know are what in. what it is? What? There it is. I'll tell you exactly what it is. They had to send Devontae Adams to jail. Say what now? In order to be a true Raider, you got to go to jail. Oh, God. <laughs> that's like saying Cooper Rush now needs to have an assault case on him as a cowboy. And that's probably going to get us canceled. So, oops. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> everybody in the league or everybody in the world knows that the Cowboys are – Jerry Jones and that Cowboys team is just spitfire on we cover up everything. I cannot believe this. <laughs> they paid their fine. <laughs> That's his arguing point. I'm sorry if I get canceled for this, but oh my gosh, they paid their fines. Okay, moving on now so we don't get canceled. Oh, now we want to move on. This guy wants to bring up all the assault parts. Oh, because we could get so into this that it just goes south real quick. It's your fault. I didn't say nothing. Yeah, it it really is. But, no, so I, I... I agree with the point that with the in the AFC, the quarterbacking core that they have, yes. The Bills and the Chiefs will not fully rule the AFC. I think for the next four years, though, you can make an argument that one of those teams will be there in the playoffs. Consistently. 
Will they always make it to the Super Bowl? No. Will they always be the team to beat? No. But I still think that they will make it to the playoffs and could potentially be in that AFC championship within the next four years, year in, year out, as long as Mahomes is a under contract, as long as Josh Allen is under contract, and as long as you can keep the teams that they have built around them. Because will Stephon Diggs leave the Bills? We don't know. Will Will Mahomes somehow miraculously fall off the board? We don't know. Will Josh Allen miraculously fall off the board? We don't know. It, it's, it's sitting in the back of everyone's mind that the Bills and the Chiefs are going to consistently be B or be very, very good. I don't know why I said BB. Well, they will be be very good. So, with that, Kenny, do you have anything else to add for the NFL before I hop on my college football rantake? Or is there any rabbit hole that you want to go down on just on just us or or anything? Any rabbit hole? You know, <clears throat> I think my big rabbit hole was the Broncos. Oh I, God! I think going. if you, I think if you would let me stay on that, I could have stayed on the Broncos for probably about forty-five, maybe fifty, fifty minutes. Well, we're already an hour and a half in this podcast. Is it really? Wow! It 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 has been an hour and a half. Wow! But you know, I don't want to say. There's not really a huge rabbit hole I want to go down. I know um, some of the big stuff. I know uh, Dodger game starts here in about uh, 10 minutes because, you know, Dodgers always start at like 537 or 137. Dodgers never started at zero. <laughs> I don't know why, but they never started at zero or a five. It's always got to be a weird seven. A weird – yeah. I, I will say that that is a rabbit hole. I kind of want to dive down real quick here because as we talk about this as well, the Braves and the Phillies, it's still four. Or it's in the fourth inning. They've resumed play after the rain delay. It's zero zero in the fourth. But why does baseball and the NFL does three twenty five? But baseball always finds this magical way to fall on one oh seven, two oh seven, seven oh seven, seven thirty six. Like what? Uh, I mean. Granted, as a pitcher, and you as a catcher, and both of us as a catcher, it takes a little bit of time to warm up. But I mean, can't we just decide on saying, okay, we got a we got a one thirty start time, or we got a seven thirty start time? Why do we got to go with these odd numbers? I don't like it. It's weird. Like, so are you? But we don't say anything about you. Okay, well, by that logic, you as well. So. Also, <laughs> this was a rabbit hole I wanted to bring down too, and I, I forgot to I forgot to do this while we were talking about the MLB. So if anybody makes it to this uh, to the hour and thirty minutes, you have reached a fun rabbit hole because Kenny is gonna find find a way to just laugh his ass off for this. So my dad, by the good old name of Rob Hendricks, he's gonna get brought on the show as as a as a entity. I don't think he'll ever join us as a guest. About a year ago, the Braves were playing the Brewers, and Christian Yelich was up to bat. A day before, my dad called Anthony Rizzo hitting a bomb for the Yankees to take the lead. Rizzo hit a bomb. My dad, before this inning starts, he said, "What in the ninth inning of the Braves-Brewers game, he said, what if Christian Yelich went down looking 
for strike three to end the game. That would be hilarious. Now, my Snapchat memory just popped up of this day. I'm sitting there videotaping on Snapchat. Christian Yelich is 3-2 count. And I was strictly saying my dad is looking to go 2-for-2 so far in MLB playoff predictions that he has called. Sure enough, Christian Yelich strikes out looking on a 3-2 slider on the outer half of the plate, and it was within the strike zone. I don't think I have seen my dad laugh so hard in his life. There, there is a lot of backstory to that that I won't go into, but there, the the Brewers Nation, especially as a Cubs fan, it hurts us. But my dad called that, and he went back upstairs, made himself a drink, plopped his happy ass back in his seat, and all that all that you can hear. And Kenny will know this. My mom goes, "Man, wouldn't that suck if he just hit a bomb right now?" <laughs> he struck out looking. Oh. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen the smile on his face. It for just just something that he that he thought was ironic happen, and sure enough, Christian Yelich strikes out looking. So, small rabbit hole, very very off the rails, but Kenny can attest to my dad though. My dad is a very very person who he's blunt, is he not? He is. I learned from the back. Yeah, he's blunt, and he he pointed that out because he had a he had a vendetta, and it went and it happened. But Kenny, you said the Dodger game starts at seven thirty-seven. Five thirty-seven, but sure. Oh well, five thirty-seven Vegas time, seven thirty-seven for me. So with that, I will let you go watch your precious Dodger game, as I will be watching it as well. But I got to give my college football segment here and. Like we said, the covert show is of a variety that we like to talk about a lot of stuff, but with the NFL happening very, very big, MLB playoffs happening now, and college football kicking off in full swing, it's a very sports-heavy show, and especially as a solo guy and trying to bring on a guest, we, we like to talk about we like to talk about that. We like to talk about sports. Kenny's a very good NFL insight for us. Kenny, as a baseball fan and as a baseball player, very good insight for me as well, but we will find a way to still talk about stuff that is fun. But for now, Kenny, thank you very much for joining us again. We greatly appreciate it, and we will go let you watch the Dodger game. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Glad I could come on talk again. Oh, it was even better when I got to talk about the uh, wonderful Pee Wee Football League today. The Pee Wee Football League. <clears throat> well, Kenny... Hopefully the Dodgers are able to get the job done. I'm rooting for them as well. So we'll get that game going on on my laptop here as we speak. But, Kenny, thank you for joining us, and we will talk about college football and break it down right now. So you are good to go, sir. Have a great rest of your evening. Absolutely. Enjoy Nick Hendricks and the wonderful college football that he has. (laughs) Peace out, brother. Adios. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as that was, Kenny Wexler joining us once again. We appreciate that. But as I said, we're going to break it down into some college football. We have a lot of big things to kind of go through. And like I said, I know it's very sports heavy of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And I apologize for that. You're not going on your typical banter that we have. And I I always like going on our sports or on our sports stuff as well. I miss the I miss the fun banter and we'll try to get that here in the next episode. I've got a special guest coming up. Hopefully, she'll be into it and she'll be she'll be ready to go. 
So, and I know she will because I'll prep her. <laughs> but looking right along, last week Alabama had a big win over a Texas A&M squad that was trying to fight the rails and trying to be there, trying to upset number one Alabama once again. Did not happen. Alabama 24-20 to over Texas Tech. Georgia getting another big win last week. So is Ohio State. Moving right along into probably one of the one of the funnest schedules of college football that I've seen in a while. And and, and this this dives into a lot. So as I take a look here, we're gonna we're gonna dive into the rankings. So Alabama with another under two loss or under seven point loss or seven point win. Good lord, I wish it was a seven point loss. It should have been. Alabama finally drops down to three. Georgia takes back the number one spot. Ohio State two, Bama three, Clemson four, Michigan at five, Tennessee is six, one of the highest ranks they've seen in a hot minute. USC seven, they drop a little bit. They drop one spot in the polls. Oklahoma State eight, nine Ole Miss, ten Penn State, Nittany Lions finding their way back in the top ten. UCLA 11, Oregon 12, 13 is TCU, Wake Forest 14, they bounced their way back up with a win last week. NC State finds their way after they drop down. They are now at 15 in the country. Wolfpack still staying strong. Mississippi State and the Bulldogs move up seven spots. They've got 16. K-State still moving up strong. The Wildcats looking to kind of run the Big 12 a little bit. We'll see how that goes as they are now at 17. Syracuse, the Orange, move up all the way to 18. Kansas is now in the rankings. But they lost last week to TCU. But they didn't move. They're still at 19 at 5-1. and one. Utah drops back. They're 4-2. They're at 20. Cincinnati, and I'll take this on a hot point as well. They're at 21. They move up 3. Kentucky drops all the way back 9 spots at 22. Texas is now tied for a 22-23 to 23 spot as they are now ranked. They are sitting at 23 at the moment. Illinois, the Fighting Illini at 5-1. and one. They are 24. James Madison breaking into the top 25. First year in FBS. This is is a talking point that I wanted to discuss, and I'm glad I brought it with you. So, if you're going to argue the James Madison schedule, I'm not going to let you do it because I'm going to I'm going to put this into perspective for you. James Madison's wins on the year at five and zero: Middle Tennessee State, Norfolk State, Appalachian State, Texas State, Arkansas State. They've got Georgia Southern coming up this week, who beat a Nebraska team. We're not going to get into that. Also, Georgia Southern can make an argument that it is still a good Nebraska team, but. Pleh. So, moving into the idea of James Madison and what they can do to be, quote-unquote, the next Cincinnati. So, they beat an Appalachian State team who has consistently, year in, year out, knocked off or given top five opponents fits. Appalachian State is able to put together a great football team. Beat Beat them by four. Throwing it down the rest of their schedule. They've got a good Marshall team coming up. They've got a Louisville team who's an ACC opponent. Then they've got a Coastal Carolina team who has been receiving votes at 5-1 and one this year as well. I think James Madison could be a next team to start making their way into the books. They're, they're in the Sun Belt Conference. As they move up, Coastal Carolina is so far 6-0 on the year. James Madison, 5-0. So in the Sun Belt East, James Madison is sitting at second. On the other side of it, you've got Troy and South Alabama. South Alabama 4-1, Troy is 4-2. I personally think that the Sunbelt Conference comes out, or champion comes out of the East. And that, that just based off the numbers, not watching a lot of Sunbelt football, but at the same time, this Coastal Carolina team has put up a lot of good offensive numbers. So has James Madison. 
James Madison, like I said, is looking to be the next Cincinnati to start making their way and saying that non-Power 5s deal. Cincinnati, on the other hand, you're ranked 21 of the country. You have a loss to Arkansas, but you only lost by six. <clears throat> Seven, excuse me. But you beat an Indiana team who still is decent this year. You have East Carolina, who is decent this year. Tulane, who is receiving votes. A UFC team who is moving to the Big 12 next year. If you can beat them and they can compete in the Big 12, then you have numbers. Cincinnati this year offensively has still been very good without Desmond Ritter. Cincinnati this year as a team has still been defensively very good. They're looking to continue their their run at being at building and saying that the American American Conference is, is fine. They're looking. So now moving into the big talk for the week as the schedule goes which is this is a jam-packed schedule. As we talk about it now on Wednesday night, October 12th, Marshall has Louisiana tonight. Baylor face West Virginia. That should be a very good game, and that's it. Mountain Country in West Virginia as well. Now, moving over, and there are a couple of games on Friday. There's another game on Thursday night as well, Tampa, or Temple versus UCF. You have Navy, you have Southern or you have SMU on Friday. You have UTSA versus Florida International on Friday as well. Saturday, you've got Michigan and Penn State at the big house. Penn State looking to continue to make themselves known. Michigan looking to get back to the playoff. Defense this year has been very good for Michigan. One of, one of the top defensive schools in the country. Points allowed, not been very much. you got seven against Colorado State, ten against Hawaii. UConn, you shut out. Maryland, you had 27 points. So far, that's been your biggest margin or your lowest margin of victory. Iowa, you only had 14. Indiana, you had 10. And you struggled in that game against Indiana, but offense found a way 31 to 10. You've got number 10 Penn State coming to town. Happy Valley. Still going to make the trip. Penn State fans, very, very loyal. Looking at that Big Ten East, you are the front runner. If you lose, Ohio State takes it. You face number two Ohio State at the end of the year. At, at an Ohio State team that is still very, very good. They struggle a little bit. They're good. Penn State, very solid team. Otherwise, so far in the Big Ten East, you got nothing. Indiana, 3-3. Three and three. They're 1-2 and two on the year so far. Rutgers is 0-3. Michigan State, 0-3. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, you're looking to do battle. The Big Ten West on the other side. Nebraska has a very good shot at possibly winning the Big Ten West. Illinois looks to be the front runner. They're now ranked in the top 25 at 24. They're 5 and 1 on the year so far. They're 2 and 1 overall in the Big 10 Conference. Purdue is also 2 and 1. Nebraska 2 and 1. The only difference between two teams and one, Nebraska is 3 and 3. Purdue is 4 and 2. Illinois is 5 and 1. You've got two winning records versus an even 500. Now, Michigan on the other hand, kind of moving down the schedule, you got Penn State, Michigan State, yeah. <laughs> win. I think Penn State gives you fits, but I think if your defense holds and you now found a quarterback that is able to fit your scheme, Michigan wins this game. Penn State drops. You've got Rutgers win. Nebraska depends on what Nebraska team shows up, but I think Michigan wins. I'm sorry, Husker Nation. Illinois. If Illinois can keep kind of keeping up this streak, which the Fighting Illini on their schedule so far for the rest of the year have a very, very good Minnesota team. 
but still uh, a middle-of-the-road Minnesota team in the Big Ten. They are only 1-1, but they've got a 4-1 record overall. You've got a good Minnesota team in your next game coming up this weekend. You've got Nebraska, Michigan State, win, Purdue. They should give you some fits. You've got Michigan. I think Illinois drops to Michigan. So far, offensively, the numbers have not shown that Illinois can keep up with that kind of a defense. Passing in the year, they're ranked 101. Rushing in the year, they're ranked 30th overall. Points per game, they're tied for 156th. They don't. Illinois does not score a lot of points. Points against, though, you're ranked 8th. You have defensively six points against Wyoming, 20 points, which has been or 23, which has been your biggest margin of points against an Indiana team. Like I said, who is okay? Chattanooga zero, Virginia three, Wisconsin ten, Iowa six, and that that Iowa game was hard to watch. I think Illinois can give Michigan a trouble, but I still think Michigan wins. I personally think that Michigan and Ohio State will be doing battle on that last day to see who goes to the Big Ten Championship. Because Ohio State with C.J. Stroud and the receiving core that they have is un, it's just huge. Kansas now has a game against Oklahoma. Number 19 in the country coming on a Brett Venables offense, who is still good, but Oklahoma is, is struggling. Quentin Ewers in Texas made Oklahoma look bad. Quentin Ewers also a very, very good quarterback. He's now back for his first week. Ended up shutting out Oklahoma with the Texas defense, 49 to nothing. Largest margin of error, or largest margin of loss that Oklahoma has suffered in the Red River for a while. Illinois, like I said, has Minnesota. Moving down the list, Georgia's got Vanderbilt. Oklahoma State has TCU, a ranked battle, eight versus three at Horn or at Fort Worth. Oklahoma State with a very, very solid offense. Can TCU shut down another very, very high-scoring offense. Because Kansas is a very high-scoring offense, and they shut them down. Granted, a lot of points were scored in that because the Big 12 secondary is is still shaky. But TCU was able to hold a very high-scoring Kansas offense to 31 points and still play defense and hold. So, Oklahoma State, I personally still think, will beat TCU. But the Big 12 is, in my opinion... And, and this might shock a lot of people, as Kansas State still leads the Big 12. They're 5-1, 3-0 overall in the Big 12. Oklahoma State 2-0, TCU 2-0, Kansas 2-1, Texas 2-1. I still think that the Big 12 is up for grabs. I don't think that anybody in the Big 12 has a shot of going undefeated in Big 12 play. Oklahoma State could be that team. Kansas, I know, or K-State could potentially win the Big 12, but I don't think they'll go undefeated. Oklahoma State, I think, is the consistent team that will be there. TCU, I think, will be the team that that drops a little bit towards the end. Once they face higher opponents, I don't know how they will be. They beat Kansas very well. They're a young team. They've got a four-star recruit as a quarterback. Texas, on the other hand, if Quentin Ewers can stay healthy, I think Texas makes a legitimate argument for trying to win the Big 12 this year. Now, I think Quentin Ewers next year in Texas on this offense will... We'll do good. B. John Robinson will be gone, but I think Texas and that offense will be very, very solid with Quentin Ewers. The Big 12, just to me, with passing, I don't think that anybody is going to be sitting there gritting their teeth saying, okay, yeah, we got the Big 12 this year. NC State plays Syracuse in an ACC matchup this weekend, number 15 versus the number 18 Orange. Moving down the schedule as well, James Madison has Georgia Southern. Mississippi State has a Kentucky team that is still very, very good, but struggled in 
the last couple of contests as they dropped two. They dropped to 14 Ole Miss, 22 to 19. And then South Carolina ended up beating them 24 to 14. Is Kentucky going to be that team that is able to bounce back? We don't know yet. They've got an offense, too. They've got, and then this is their biggest thing. The South Carolina opponent wasn't anything too special. Four and two on the year, but one and two in the SEC. You now play a Mississippi State Bulldog team that is that is red hot. But then you face a team in the Tennessee Volunteers who have the biggest game of their schedule that they have seen within the last probably decade. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Volunteer Nation and Rocky Top, but personally I think that if you are Tennessee, this is your game to play. You are hosting at Rocky Top, college game day coming back for two times within three weeks. You have knocked off this year a pit team who is ranked 17th in a very fantastic game in the backyard brawl. You have knocked off a Florida Gator team who is still very good. You have knocked off an LSU team who is, as they played, mediocre. You now have the number three team in the country who was arguably the number one at one point, but has struggled this year. And with your scheme that you have as a Tennessee team, I don't see Alabama beating you. At home, I see Tennessee taking the upset. It will be a battle in the SEC East between Tennessee and Georgia, and I do think that Tennessee has a legitimate chance if they beat Alabama to win the SEC East. Georgia is a team that has a lot of high-powered offense. Stetson Bennett is just an absolute sprinter. He's a dog. He fights, and Georgia has probably one of the best offenses in the country. Tennessee, though, has a quarterback by the name of Hendon Hooker. Tennessee has Jalen Wright and Jalen Hatt. Tennessee has an offense that is nuts. Tennessee has just a spark this year that I have not seen from Tennessee since, man, I can't remember. I think that Tennessee legitimately has a chance to win the SEC. If they beat Alabama, which I do believe they will this weekend, I think that they have a a true shot to beat Georgia. And if they beat Georgia, they win the SEC. Hands down, Tennessee, if they go 2-0 against Bama and Georgia in the regular season, they beat Kentucky, who still might not be ranked at that at that time that they play them in three weeks. But I still think that if Georgia or Tennessee is able to win Bama and Georgia, they win the SEC. Because they're the way that their offense looks, the way that they are just playing, it's a fire and they are there. So With that, the other big ranked game coming up in college football, Utah versus USC. Lincoln Riley still holding that USC team to a very high standard, and they're holding so. They're still moving right along 6-0 in the Pac-12. I said that Utah was that team to beat. UCLA has now proven that they might be the team to beat in the Pac-12. USC. I did mention that if if USC can still ride that, they could be. I personally think that now it's a battle between the, the California schools. USC has proved me wrong. UCLA has proved me wrong. Can those two duke it out for a Pac-12 championship? Possibly. And I think that USC now, after I take a look at it again, 
with the stats and with with Lincoln Riley proving himself, I think that this USC team could be legit. Could they make a college football playoff? I don't know. Are they gonna make are they gonna make a New Year's Six Bowl? Oh, absolutely. But could this be the Pac twelve team that, that people see in a college football playoff? They have the potential now. So, with that, that wraps up the Covert Show for today. We will get to watching the Dodger game. I still got to go make dinner. It's 7.49 here in Nebraska. Or, wow, in Nebraska. In Iowa. It's 7.49. It's going to be 8 o'clock. I still got to go make some dinner. We're going to have some venison burgers. Sorry for a little bit of the, the palate of the, the just informing you on my day. I like to do it. But we thank Kenny Wexler for joining us once again, a.k.a. Dr. Jack, a.k.a. my best friend. We hope to get JC back on the Covert Show once again here so we can do another duos thing. We can bounce back and forth. But also, we thank you for everybody that is joining with us. Make sure that whatever clips we post, you leave a a like, you leave a comment on the good old social medias. Tell us what you want to talk about. If it's not sports, tell us. Give us some nostalgia stuff. Give us some talk about movies, music, anything that you guys want to hear. Make sure that that we hit it. So do that on the TikTok page. Do that on the Instagram. Do that on the Facebook. Me, RC, and JC, thank you so much for listening to another installment of The Covert Show. Have a good night, ladies and gentlemen.